Welcome to I Need Some Air. Bending. A last airbender fancast from someone who's seen the show before. And someone who has not. I'm Landon Ferguson. And I'm Michael Williams. After Aang receives a vision from Roku, and Zuko receives a letter from Iroh, they each learn about the relationship between Avatar Roku and Fire Lord Sozin. Their childhood friendship, falling out, and Sozin's eventual betrayal of Roku to his death. Zuko discovers that Roku is his maternal great-grandfather, and Iroh explains to Zuko that the legacy of the struggle between Roku and Sozin lives on as the struggle between good and evil within Zuko himself. First things first with this one, Michael, I completely forgot that Zuko was related to Roku. That was a very nice surprise for me, because it's one of those details that just completely slipped my mind. I thought it was a good plot twist. It was very good. Very reminiscent of any soap opera or any sort of melodrama. Anything in the world that has that kind of twist. They even did the little zoom in on the eyes. And it's like, what? 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 Yeah, I really liked that. That, that, that was a genuine shock for me. And I was kind of like, wow, why do I keep forgetting about this? Overall, I, I thought it was a really good episode. I mean, how could it not be? This is the one that gives you all the answers. Everything we've been speculating about just laid out in front of us. I mean, all the answers? All the answers of how it started, I guess is what I meant. I feel like the proper term is just some answers. I feel like there's more questions. Like, I had to rewind Iroh telling Zuko that Roku was his mother's grandfather. Mm -hmm. Because it took me a while to, like, think that through. Because I'm just like, okay, Roku, Tommyin. Like, so somehow they came back together. Like, the family came back together, and it took me a while to, like, figure it out. And I, I walked away more confused. Yeah, so I guess that means that Zuko's mother was Roku's daughter? Or granddaughter, yes. I don't know why. It was like, I walked away from that really confused. Like, how does Roku's granddaughter somehow find her way back to the Fire Nation and ends up marrying the Fire Lord? who is Sozin's grandson. Yeah, so in that sense, yes, we are still missing some answers. Yeah, because I I would figure that uh, Roku's wife would not like Sozin anymore because of what happened at the volcano. So I figure they they would keep away from Sozin. So I'm, I'm just wondering, okay, how exactly did a member of Roku's family make their way back to the Fire Nation like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know how well history knows that Roku died because Sozin betrayed him. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be that. Tommen could just know from what Roku has said to her. It's like, hey, mm-hmm. the second I'm gone, he's going to try and take over. So she would already know that, okay, Sozin's not really the best of guys. And she would say, okay, Roku's gone, and immediately Sozin conquers or starts to make preparations. Mm-hmm. So it just all gets back to the fact that, okay, that's a nice reveal, but it's a bit more confusing because I just, I don't understand how, how a member of Roku's family, Roku's granddaughter, somehow ended up being Zuko's mother. I don't know. I, I think there's enough time there, but it does get explained down the line. So yeah, there's more to learn. Okay. And just speaking on episode structure of this, I really liked how we're seeing Aang learn about the subject matter and Zuko learn about the exact same subject matter and how the episode would bounce back and forth from Roku's point of view 
to Sozin's point of view, and it all just lined up so perfectly. Yeah, it flowed very well, especially with how Aang and Zuko went about learning this information. I did like the balance that it was going from Roku's perspective, which is a bit more revealing because his spirit can take you to his memories. I have to imagine it wasn't as easy for Zuko because he was only reading Sozin's account of it. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have the whole picture, he only had Sozin's account. The same way Aang really only had Roku's account, but he, he had a bit more of, a, of an easier time with that. Just because it's a spirit world, he can go and see Roku's memories, essentially. Yeah. I don't think they were traveling back in time. I think they were just seeing Roku's memories. That's why we didn't really see any scenes where Roku wasn't there. Because right, it would only yeah. be based on his memory. Right, like Aang never saw anything of just Sozin, and Zuko could never imagine anything of just Roku. We, the audience, are the only ones who got the full picture. Yeah. But I really, really like that as an episode structure. Yeah, like I said, I thought it flowed very well. So in these memories, we see that Sozin and Roku, really good friends, they like to spar with each other. Sozin's the prince next in line for the throne, and they share a birthday. They're actually the same age, I guess born on the same day. And on that day, I think it was the 16th birthday, the Fire Nation sages come in and announce that Roku is the new Avatar. And something that I really thought was interesting was Sozin and Roku were both shocked. But once it settled in, Sozin actually bowed to Roku just like everyone else. And yes. it not only sets up how much of a twist it was that Sozin started to separate from the Avatar and, and come to betray him, but it also showed that the Avatar is respected by even royalty, like, unless you're deranged or something, but, like, the royalty is actually still under the Avatar. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I thought a more... It spoke to the friendship of Roku and Sozin, for me at least, whereas... Sozin values Roku, and Roku values Sozin. Like, they're, they're really good friends. In the same way, I, I'm pretty sure there's probably been moments where Roku will bow or curtsy or whatever it is they do to Fire Lord royalty. And maybe they got to a point where Sozin said, you don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. But the second that the tables turn, we're like, one in a million chance. Like, okay, my best friend turns out to be the Avatar, and like maybe he's, he's been nothing but nice and respectful, so I, I have to do my best to return all that kindness and all that humility. So that's how I saw it. And then it's also just, like you said about the eventual betrayal, it, it kind of makes it more tragic. Because you see, it wasn't like he started off being resentful the second he was announced as the Avatar. No, like, he, he supported him as the Avatar, which makes his betrayal ultimately a bit more tragic. You see, that's how far they drifted apart by that point. Yeah, I'm really glad they didn't go for the resentful, jealous friend. I feel like I've seen that trope so many times. So, yeah, to have it be a sign of respect, it's just so much more impactful when everything winds up happening the way it does. And I want to talk about Roku's training he goes in the Avatar cycle, like he's supposed to. He learns from the Air Nomads first. We learn that he actually trained alongside Gyatso when they were young. And we get a really nice sentiment and a line from Roku that friendships can sometimes transcend lifetimes. 
So after he masters airbending, and this is interesting too, he fully learns airbending before moving on to the waterbending. He's not learning all at the same time or anything, or sort of doing one and then doing some of the other and going back and forth. He fully learns airbending and goes to the Northern Water Tribe to learn waterbending, and he states that waterbending was especially challenging for him, which is something similar we see with Aang and earthbending. But he eventually masters that too and moves on to earthbending and he picks that up. But it took 12 years. I thought this was the most interesting thing to come out of this information was that he didn't return back to the Fire Nation for 12 years. And when he returned, Sosin was now the Fire Lord, which means he assumed power at 28. Or sometime in between. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. Very young. I mean, really not. I think it's... It's young in our standard, but this is kind of working with the assumption that for a while, like y- you can look back in like medieval history, it's like there there was no such thing as a teenager. It was like you were a child, and like around like thirteen, fourteen, you were a man or a woman. And we see that in this show. It's like uh, that's probably why Aang like ran away because like they tried it like at twelve and say, okay, you're the Avatar, like you have to be a man now. Or you just, you have to be the Avatar, and we see he didn't handle it that way. And then we, we see with uh, Roku, he handles it a bit better because he started at 16. Like, he, he had grown up a little bit more. So, yeah, that's just a, a broader point. I think they're using that same expectation, almost, where it's like there's really is no such thing as a, a teenager. There's no, like, in-between years between child and adult. And it's not a good thing, but it looks like that's the assumption they're going with. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be that the previous Fire Lord died, just sort of stepped down and said, you know, oh, you're 20 now, it's your job. But I really want to know what happened with the previous Fire Lord, though, who he was and why he is no longer on the throne 12 years later. Because we also have examples in this world of people living extraordinarily long times. They said that Sozin himself was ancient. We see that Boomy is over 100 years old. It's probably like 112 or something right now. Yeah, I would say so. There's other examples of people just living really long times in this. So unless Sozin's father died young or stepped down, I don't really know. I just, I'm, I'm curious what led to Sozin taking up the throne seemingly more young than he would have to. It was more than likely a sudden death. Could have been. Or maybe things were a bit more chill, where it's like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. You're Fire Lord now. I mean, yes, that is true. The monarchy could have been completely different outside of a war. It didn't look like the Fire Lords were as power-hungry back then Mm -hmm. as they are now. But after all that, Roku finally gets engaged to Tamin. They have their wedding day. And on that day, Sozin decides to tell Roku what he's been planning and this is something that me and you talked about and we speculated about and I'm curious what you thought before this reveal and after. Sozin states that the Fire Nation is prospering like it never has before. All the citizens are experiencing wealth. The kingdom is peaceful. The Fire Nation is at its most powerful it's ever been and he wants to spread this wealth and prosperity with the rest of the world. And Roku says that the four nations are supposed to stay exactly that, four separate nations. 
and turns him down for this conquer plan. What did you make of all this? My thoughts on it were that what Sozin was proposing was actually a pretty understandable thing. It wasn't like, I want to conquer and dominate the world. It's like, uh, we are doing well, and I want to spread it. That's why I found it interesting where it said, I want to share it with the rest of the world. And then Roku immediately went to, it's like, no, the four nations have to remain four. And it wasn't like he started off saying, like, I'm going to conquer. Or, well, he did use the word empire. So I, you know, I, I will give it to Roku. Empire, when you hear the word empire, you don't really think, oh, like, peaceful transitions. Like, yeah, that's usually a, a conquering affair. Right. You're like two steps away from a Death Star. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's a good idea. It's a good plan. And it's a reasonable one. It's like, hey, we're, we're doing so well. We shouldn't have this all to ourselves. We should be able to at least spread it. I think the mistake that Sozin made was he... It's like he went too big too fast. And it's like, well, we have to do it all at once. And the, the problem is, like, when you're trying to execute something on that large a scale there's no easy way to do it it's like if you're trying to spread it to the whole world you have to use force it's another thing if you open it up like economically it's like okay we maybe we open some not colonies but like other areas closer to the nations and we are trying to engage in trade with them so i think i think there could have been a good way to execute his plan but i don't think he was leaning towards that i think he was leaning towards doing it through force mm-hmm but the the ultimate thing about it, it's like I believed that he believed that he was right and that, that what he thought he was going trying to do was a good thing. Right. Well, that's actually the big question I think in this was Sozin actually justifying this to himself in a way that he believed or was it just a lie to get what he wanted, right? Like if he actually believed that we are doing so well, we need to spread this to the rest of the world under our rule we can help them then he was just misguided with good intentions right but if he actually like you know what it would be really cool and fun to conquer the rest of the world i'll tell roku my plan is to spread our wealth it changes everything about his character depending on which one it is and i really do think he believed that he was doing the right thing just in the wrong way yeah but to me, it's more like, okay, it's a reasonable thing. It's like, hey, we're doing very well. I want to spread it. The problem is, like, for what he's trying to do is, like, spread it with the whole world. There's really only one way to do that. And I, I guess he thought that everyone else was just going to welcome them with open arms or whatever if they just showed up. It's like, hey, we're, we're sharing this. I think the whole thing is, to him, it's a simple, good thing, but is way more complex than he thought it would be i don't know i think it's just like he started off with like a noble good intention but was unaware of the myriad of things he would have to do to make that happen mm -hmm. in order to accomplish this good thing you have to do more and more stuff that you maybe you don't agree with or maybe you think is bad or maybe the more you do all that bad stuff to try and accomplish this good thing you realize you don't really care much about what's good or bad anymore because everything's just a means to an end so I really do think he started off with like a noble good intention that like I don't blame him for having, but I think he just got so wrapped up in it, he got blind to the fact of how far he lost himself in pursuit of what he thought was noble and good. Yeah, and I think one of the most telling scenes 
towards that character arc is that he decides to just do it anyway without Roku's backing. And he starts colonizing some of the Earth Kingdom. And he takes over a small city. He's even got him a throne room and everything in there completely decked out with Fire Nation apparel and decor. And Roku said it was a few years later before he even found out. Which means Roku was busy with something else. I don't know. It looked like decades had passed. Um, I don't know about decades, but he said it was... Roku said a few years, but like when you... They went from like 28 to like the next time we see them, they have, they have gray in their hair and beards. So I, I feel like maybe like they were in their 40s to 50s in that next scene. So like he says a few years, but this is also him talking about his whole life and he's like over 100. So like to him, like, oh, yeah, that a couple decades, that's just a few years. But I, I think a lot more time had passed. I mean, I think a lot of time would have to pass for him to colonize like that. Yeah. But I think what this scene does is when Roku finds out about it, he goes in and he tries to talk to Sozin and Sozin challenges him and Roku puts him in his place and says that I'm going to let you live because of our friendship. But if you try this again, it'll be the end of you. And Sozin takes that threat seriously and he does nothing else for the rest of their lives. It was 25 years later that the volcano erupts and Sozin tries to help Roku with the volcano. I legitimately think that he wanted to help Roku save his village, stop the volcano. I don't really know what the turning point was. I guess just opportunity presenting itself. Sozin tells Roku that without you, all my plans are now possible. And he took that opportunity and left Roku to die. And I think in Sozin's mind, the Avatar made it a war and no longer a colonization mission. You made it where I couldn't do this. This is my chance to take you out. And then he even takes that opportunity further and says, the next Avatar is going to be the end of my plan. So I'm going to wipe out all of the Air Nomads as well to extend my goals. Yeah, it's an odd thing because I really don't think there's any turning point in that scene either. I also believe Sozin came there with the intention to help. But something happened that Sozin really cannot be blamed for. Like, the whole thing was like, there's toxic gas everywhere. And Roku gets sprayed with, looks like, a, I guess, a geyser or an air burst of whatever, of just toxic gas. And it's like, directly into his nose and mouth. So it's like, he's essentially poisoned. And I, I really don't think there was anything Sozin could do. Like, I guess he could have taken him away from it, and maybe he could have gotten better. Is the implication that Roku was already a dead man? Because that would be interesting, if that's what they were going for. It could be that implication, and that's kind of what I got, but I'm also thinking about very shortly after that, he gets swallowed up by the, the ash or the lava that falls down from the volcano. So it's, a, it's an odd thing, but the big thing for me is that I really don't feel that Sozin killed Roku. He, he didn't save him, and he did leave him to die, but I don't think there's any implication that he could have saved him from death. Mm -hmm. Because he could have gotten out of the way from the lava and the ash, but maybe he was already poisoned and he was already way too weak. Because 
this isn't the end of his life. Like, he's already a very old man. And I also really don't believe that Sozin had it in his heart to kill Roku. And I think that's why that moment is, is there, where Roku gets poisoned and, and Sozin leaves him behind. So, like, Sozin doesn't do anything direct to him, because I don't think he had it in his heart to do that. Right. It's a heartbreaking scene. And they double down on that heartbreak, too, when you see Roku's dragon, Fang, fly down and die with him. Kind of makes you wonder if Fang could have saved him. Do you think Fang would have been able to pick him up, or, like, maybe not strong enough? I don't really know. I don't think it's like... I know the dragon kind of had, like, tiny arms, but I, was, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just pictured him, like, picking him up uh, with his mouth on the clothes, kind of like a, how a, a mama cat picks up her kittens by, like, biting the back of their neck and carrying them. Yeah, I don't really know. Even though we don't get a lot of character moments for Fang, it just shows the tight bond between an avatar and their animal companion in ways that we understand just from watching Aang and Appa, you know? Yeah. Is that official? Does every avatar have a animal companion? Um, in some ways, yes, it is official. Okay. But it's not like they're training to be the avatar. It's like, all right, here's your designated animal. Do you have an air bison? Do you have a dragon? Mm-hmm. Aw, I wanted a dragon. Dragons are cool. Yeah, I don't know that it's, like, presented as tradition, but I think it happens as tradition. Does that make sense? Yeah, I guess so. It'd be really interesting if their animal companion was also a spirit animal. Explain what you mean. You know, like, the only animal I can think of off the top of my head is a haybi. Mm-hmm. Or it's like an animal that they can converse with. Maybe, like, through the spirit realm. Oh, was like an actual spirit? Yeah, could be. It's like, somehow, like, maybe the animal's connected to the spirit realm, and that's why Mm -hmm. they're connected. Instead of it just being, this is my lifelong animal pet. Right. It would just be another way to, like, deepen the connection between the animal. Because really, it just looks like, it's like, I, this is my pet. And uh, we will, we now ride or die. Which makes you think, how long, how long did Roku have Fang? How old is Fang? I don't know. We didn't see him get Fang at any point in his training. It would have been really cool. But assuming it's a Fire Nation animal traditionally like the way the bison is an air nomad animal maybe he got him when he returned home as a fully fledged avatar maybe so we hear that sozin used the comet to kick off the war officially and the comet was then named after him and somehow he knew that he missed the avatar after wiping out the four air nomad temples and the entire race and spent the rest of his life searching for the Avatar the same way Zuko did. How exactly did he know he missed? Is there a way to announce the birth? That's a really good question. I would guess that if the Avatar had been killed in the Air Nomads, you would have found the Avatar in the Water Tribes, and they didn't. But what does that mean, find him? Because how long does it take... Is it like they're born and immediately you know, or does it take a few years? I think there's signs like how they use the toys to define if Aang was the Avatar. He picked the same four toys that are always picked by his past lives. But there's no way to know. There's no reason for like a reasonable person to do that. 
Unless he forced the whole village to do it. Oh, no, no. Well, see, what I was getting at, though, was that that is an air nomad tradition with the toys. That is what the air nomads do. Now, what the other tribes do, I'm not sure, but the sages clearly knew that Roku was the avatar before he did. So there are, there's somehow ways that they are able to tell, especially if you're dealing with wise men of some type like the sages who have probably dealt with at least two avatars and have the study of all the previous avatars. In times like present day avatar right now with Aang, all that culture is really lost because it's been like a hundred years since anyone's needed to define an avatar. I know when Aang woke up from the iceberg, there was like a big announcement where like people in temples could feel that the Avatar returned and they like would send letters or like hit bells or whatever. So I was just wondering, can they sense that when a new Avatar is born? I don't think so. I guess like the only thing I thought of was like, okay, when they feel an Avatar die and a new one being born, they feel that energy pass. And they, they announce it. It's like, okay, a new avatar has been born, and we have to go and find it. And, but because no one signaled and said a new avatar has not been born. That's, that was the only way I thought that he knew that there was no new avatar, or that there was no signal, or whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. When it triggered the world to know that Aang was back, he had gone into the avatar state at the air temple near the statues and all the statues reacted and that caused the rest of the statues around the world to react. So yeah, I don't really know. There's definitely some information there that could be explored in future projects that I would really like to see. But early on in this podcast, I used to talk about why this war took a hundred years Though it's small, let's say Sozin spent the last 12 years of his life continuing to search for the Avatar, that could have slowed the war effort down, right? Like, instead of focusing all his time and energy on planning how to conquer the rest of the nations, he was like, no, first I have to find the Avatar. And it wasn't until Azulon that things picked up again. Just a small thought that I had to go with my original speculation. One last thing for this episode is we get to hear Iroh speak for the first time of the season. Good to have him back. It was. To get a little meta here, what did you think about the new voice actor? I thought he did really well. Yeah, I actually forgot for a second that it wasn't the original voice actor of uh, Mako. So it's the scene where Iroh is explaining to Zuko that he needs to learn the legacy of his great-grandfather. And that he was not talking about Sozin, but talking about Roku. Iroh pulls out the headdress that was given to Roku by Sozin and presents it to Zuko, telling him it's supposed to be worn by the lead prince of the Fire Nation. Unfortunately, we don't get to see what Zuko does from here. Yep. Unfortunately, we have to wait to figure out what his response is. I am curious. We talked a little while back about Iroh planning a breakout from jail. I'm going to theorize that he's already broken out. Oh, yeah. He somehow got that letter to Zuko and somehow had this headdress in this prison cell hidden away waiting for Zuko to come visit him again 
So like Iroh is dipping in and out of this jail cell as he pleases, completely unknown, unseen. It's the only explanation for how he got these things. Yeah, that's Iroh. I also have to think that at this point, the the guards are like, I don't want to watch him all day. It's like he doesn't do anything. He just sits there and he's just like gibberish to himself. It's like, little do they know that Iroh is a beast. He's just so awesome. He's so chill, he can like move at breakneck speed. I love that you're just not surprised at all that he's, he can just walk out of there whenever he wants. Not exactly a plot twist. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I'm sure Iroh like asked for that cell. He's like, yeah, I'll take this one. Or not even that, he's just like, the second they brought him in, he like immediately sized up the place. It's like, okay, there's a loose bar over there. This brick over here looks nice, nice and loose. I can pull that out. I can hide a headdress in there. I think I'm going to need that. <laughs> I don't think he planned it all like the moment he got in, but like I'm sure he took notice of his surroundings and figured out what he could do. I do like the fact that he's not leaving until he's helped Zuko. Oh yeah, totally. Totally went in his character. Makes sense. What happened to the headdress? Because Roku wasn't wearing it when he died. He didn't put it on when he jumped out of bed that night. Was it just left on his bedside table, or did he get rid of it before he left for 25 years? Like, what? I can't remember where it ended. I don't remember either. Maybe Tommen grabbed it, because Roku had other things on his mind. Yeah. But I'm sure Tommen would know how important that headdress is to Roku, so I think she probably grabbed it. I'm sure the second she woke up, it's like, oh, Volcano, we should probably grab whatever we want to take, because I don't think uh, anything's surviving. Yeah, I just couldn't remember if he, like, took it off or something and gave it back to Sozin before he left or something. I feel like that's what happened. Tom In somehow had it and kept on to it, and it got passed mm -hmm. down the family. And then it feels like Iroh learned about this. He's known about this for a while. That's what I've surmised. But I, I don't know why he's held it back for this point. Or maybe, actually, no, I know why he waited. He, like, he waited till like, Zuko really needed to hear it. Where he was at a point, it's like, okay, I've done everything I can to help you, but it hasn't been enough, so, like, here's another piece of information. So maybe Iroh learned about this, like, very early on in his own timeline, and maybe he reached out to uh, Roku's granddaughter. And maybe it's, that's how he got the headdress. You know, that's a really good point. Iroh definitely would have known all of this information about Zuko's heritage and why he never used it before to talk to Zuko. I think you're right. I think Zuko needed to be in a place where he was ready to hear it because Zuko needs to decide who he is or who he wants to be on his own, not because of his heritage not because Iroh told him one specific magic thing and I think now was the right time to tell him because Zuko was already on that path ah it's just such a good episode yeah it's a real good reflection I know we haven't gotten a lot into Aang in this episode but uh he also learns a, a really good lesson he does because before and we've seen it like the group has negative views of the Fire Nation which is understandable because mm -hmm. for the most part, most of the ones they've met are pretty rude. But I did find it weird that this was right after the Painted Lady episode. 
and they still kind of have a negative view of the Fire Nation. So, it's like, are they all born bad? But we see Angler and Celeste, and it's like, hey, Roku was just as much as Fire Nation. I think what the implication was that all the Fire Nation royalty are born bad. I don't think they were just talking about Fire Nation citizens in general. I think it was that, like, all the royalty are born bad. And Aang has to say, no, that's not it. Each individual person is capable of great evil and great good. Yeah. But then he also says that this was about friendships as well, of how important they can be. Yeah. Overall, it was a good lesson that I do feel that Aang needed to learn, and also his friends. On that friendship line, it is kind of strange because I know that Avatar Kuruk trained and traveled the world with his friends. His teachers actually became his friends and they traveled the world together. And Avatar Kiyoshi traveled the world with her friends and learned how to bend the other elements from them. And we see Aang doing the same thing. Roku's sort of in a unique position among these recent avatars that he trained alone. You mentioned that the earthbender that trained him became a really close friend of his, but we didn't really see that. And I feel like if Sozin had not been Fire Nation royalty, he may have traveled with Roku, but he couldn't leave being the prince. And that sort of set them on their separate paths that led them to who they became. Yeah, it definitely would have been interesting seeing what traveling the world would have done for Sozin. Mm-hmm. Although I don't, I don't think there was any reason why he couldn't travel at all. Arguably, there was no war or anything happening. The Fire Nation was doing really well. So it would have been nice to see them travel together for one time. Yeah. But I don't think there was a point where they could travel. Because he went off to train, and then immediately came back, and then that's when Sozin came up with his plan. And that's kind of what started the rift. So after that, they weren't in a, really in a good place where they could be friends and go and travel the world. Yeah. But it would have been interesting to see that. It's sort of a hindsight thing that I guess Roku should have come back home in between his training. Finish air training and go visit Sozin for a little bit, then go do the water tribe training. But he stayed gone for an entire 12 years, and that separated them to a point that they could never really come back from. Yeah, it was pretty tragic. As far as our world development for this episode, I think it's just sort of all in the things that we discussed. I think the most fascinating thing is that we see a little bit of what the world was like during Roku's age. No war going on, no colonizations, just your basic avatar training to become fully realized and doing the basic job, which under normal circumstances is a political job, and... Ultimately, Roku's mistakes led to something that Aang had to deal with. Yeah, it was very eye-opening. And then this episode does everything for our plot development. It shows how it all began, and so now we can finally lead into how it's all going to end. We're gearing up for the finale. Are you excited, Landon? I'm so excited. We still have some amazing episodes to come. I can't wait. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this episode. If you've enjoyed this episode discussion or any of our past episode discussions, please leave us a review, tell a friend, subscribe. It all helps out so much. And you can always join the conversation by emailing us at avatarfancast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
and thank you so much for listening. All right, Michael, tell us what our next episode is about. Our next episode is Season 3, Episode 7, The Runaway. When Toph discovers a quick way to make cash, Katara disapproves, and the rift between them has disastrous consequences. Alright, looks like we're getting a, a bit of a Toph-centric episode. It looks like Katara's gonna factor in a good bit, though. Yeah, and we really haven't seen Toph and Katara fight since that first episode that Toph joined the group. From the description, it... This kind of sounds like something Toph would do. Oh, yeah. Just, like, find a quick way to make cash that apparently Katara would disapprove of. Yeah, that, yeah, that sounds like Toph. I don't, I'm not saying, like, she's, like, robbing people. It's like, she probably, like, figured out some sort of scam. That sounds in keeping with the character. I approve. It doesn't get more foreboding than when you say disastrous consequences. Well, I already see that there's more episodes, so it can't be that disastrous. Right, it makes you wonder, what exactly does that mean? I cannot remember much about this episode, so I'm really curious to get into it. So join us next time for our discussion of The Runaway.